It's Alan Karpik on our Monday Night Memories series. Uh, the good folks at Chariot Auto Group. Nate Barrett uh, on the call here today, so to speak. Uh, uh, a, a, a an institution there at that. You're not old enough to be an institution just yet, but uh, <laughs> but you're pretty close uh, at at uh, Chariot Auto Group in Twin City. We appreciate them. Uh, this is you know this is a conversation we could all have whether with a beverage of choice and and probably talk for two or three hours. We're not going to bore all of you out there for more than probably a half hour here. But the topic today is uh, it's Monday Night Memory Series, but we're we're talking with some. Tiller, Joe Tiller experts, and we've really got him in the room here today with Tom Kubot, Lafayette Journal and Courier, who covered Joe Tiller for each of his 12 seasons. I think I'm correct on that. And uh, Joe, they, they both retired at about the, at, at the same time uh, uh, as well. And Tom, of course, wrote the book. We always plug books on the show. The Tiller, Not Your Average Joe, fine book. You can see it here. And uh, Tom is Still available, I'm sure, on Amazon. If not, at Sports Publishing. We, I'm sure you can find that. We also have Jim Brujink joining us. And Jim with the National Football Foundation. And Jim worked, uh, obviously, in athletics for many, many years and was involved with Joe Tiller. Tom Schott here joining, too. Tom has, nobody knows Joe Tiller better than and a better friend of the Tillers and all the things he's done for Arnett Tiller. And Joe, over the years, has uh, been very, very important also. Uh, wrote the book on Purdue football too. So uh, there's a lot of knowledge. Nate, you and I are going to have to catch up here, man. We're going to have to work up there's our knowledge, knowledge here. But that's all right. So I'm going to start with you, Tom. Uh, you know, you know, looking back 15 years, uh, it is hard to believe. We know that uh, not only is college football, college football has changed more and college sports changed more in the last year than it has in the last or last two years than it had probably in the 13 years preceding. But uh, it is a different time. We've kind of thrown out that question about how different it is, but yet I still, the legacy of Joe Tiller and the basketball and grass and the speed up play of college football is still alive and well, different variations of that, but put, give us some perspective on that from your, your view as you continue to consume sports and look at it uh, from you, from where you sit. Well, excuse me, even though I, I lived through it and reported it, I still, when I look back on it, I just think what Joe did, because when I look back on it, the first uh, 12 years that I covered Purdue football were losing seasons, yeah. every one of them, you know, and then he shows up and, and granted he had an advantage that uh, uh, I don't know if he was the only coaching staff, but certainly if not the only one, one of the very few that ran the spread offense as their as their primary offense other coaches were running it but it was kind of a it wasn't their main offense so he was very familiar with it brought his entire staff from wyoming and uh they hit the ground running in the big 10 the big 10 was just totally confused by the whole thing i remember joe told me once that uh uh, when they got started in that first season the coaches would get together and, and it was to them it, they thought they were like uh it was like Christmas because they would break the huddle and come out of the huddle and line up and they couldn't believe the defenses that the other teams were in and thought this is like taking candy from a baby, you know, and it was instant success. And, and, uh, you know, as we know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it didn't come and go. I mean, he kept it going through uh, all 12 of his years, uh, just tremendously. And, you know, people think of passing and the offense when he was here, but, uh, I, I, I think he, to an, uh, an indicator of how good of a coach he was, as far as, you know, he had Brock's back as a defensive coordinator and Jim Chaney offensive coordinator, and he let them do their thing. And a lot of people forget that Purdue had a pretty good running game uh, at that time. And also there was, I don't know how many years now, but a few years where they were, they either led or near the top in the big 10 in defense. So it wasn't just the spread offense. It was the total package. I mean, and it was, uh, and then, and then just Joe Tiller, the man was just so, so impressive. Uh, he was, he had a way of, he didn't, at least on the field that I saw, I didn't ever really see him screaming and yelling at his players. Now, maybe he called them into his office and did that, but he was, uh, he had a way of getting his messages across either with a, a one sentence put down that got through yeah. or, uh, yeah. And, 
if you got time for a story, and it's in the book, and I don't know if you guys have read it, Drew Brees told me the time, because he said that Joe Killer, Tiller was an amateur psychologist, yeah. and he's got that saying that, that Brees said he lives by today, do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, do it the right way, and do it that way all the time, and, but he told me a time that uh, Joe, it was, uh, let's see, it was the beginning of the 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 spring semester of Breeze's year, and they just had been to the Alamo Bowl, and uh, they were having their first meeting in January, and Joe walked into the room, went up to the podium, and Breeze said he had a really kind of sour look on his face. He walked up there, and he said, guys, he said, I wanted to have this meeting to tell you this before the news broke. He said, I'm going I'm, to, I'm leaving to go to, to become the head coach at the University of Colorado, I'm taking my staff with me. He said, I know this is a shock. I've enjoyed coaching you guys, you know, good luck. And he walked out of the room and he said, we're all, the players all sitting there. We're mad. We're, we're disappointed. We're upset. We're confused. And he said, it was like two minutes later, uh, Tiller walked back in and he said, uh, sorry guys, I lied to you. He yeah. said, but several of you guys lied to me at the end of the, the fall semester, you were in academic trouble and, and you, you lied about it and it kind of put our team in a tough spot. And he said, you know, it's not fun to be lied to, is it? And I, 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 and again, I thought most coaches would bring those guys that lied that were in trouble. They, he would have brought them into his office either one at a time or as a group, read them the riot act, maybe made them run the stairs or whatever. Uh, and, and maybe Joe did that. But uh, what he did in that room, I thought was brilliant. I mean, as far as getting a point across. And I think that's a good example of how Joe coached his kids. Yeah, I don't think there's any question he was a master uh, of the of the human condition and how that uh, how to, to to get guys to do things uh, uh, not always the conventional way. Tom Schott, you knew him extremely well in his latest in his years at Purdue, but also knew him. Uh, from uh, after retirement and his time out in Wyoming. Talk about it just, you know, his sense of humor was priceless. Certainly he could have been, I think he and Judd Heathcote were two of the funniest coaches that I ever could actually have done stand up uh, had they worked on it a little bit uh, probably, but talk about that sense of humor, but also his ability to get it. I, I, a little bit like Tom Kubot said, the ability to get that point across uh, that kept you enough on your toes, even in, if you were a colleague of his in the athletic department, that that expectation was there to get the job done. Yeah, he was just uh, just the greatest in all aspects. And, and Tom Kubat uh, summarized it very well. But uh, I remember his very first John Purdue uh, function after he was hired. Uh, and he gets up on stage and, and starts talking about his uh, receding hairline. And he said... Um, you know, God created all these heads, and the one he was the ones he was embarrassed by, he gave hair to. Yeah. Uh, then he said, "Or as my wife refers to me, and I think we can say this on the internet." The internet. In 2023, uh, um, Arnett refers to me as a solar-powered sex machine. So there you go. That was not, uh, you know, kind of the stuff John Purdue Club of the 19 uh, late <laughs> 1990s was used to hearing, but uh, it certainly uh, set the tone for just an incredible. Um, uh, run of, of humor and and quick wit uh, and and just never short uh, for a great story. But uh, you know my greatest memories uh, certainly uh, uh, the great success on the field. But just uh, sitting in his office and talk about uh, anything and everything uh, but football and uh, yeah. whether it was uh, politics and, and Joe certainly had his uh, uh, his opinion on those, uh, the stock market and how to prepare for retirement and uh, everything else. Uh, a, a young professional I wanted to hear. He was just the best. Uh, and uh, um, But he had a way to make everybody feel comfortable. And he, yeah. uh, you know, for a very successful college athletic uh, head coach, uh, had his uh, lack of an ego, as, as you'll find, uh, as, as so many Purdue coaches the years have had. They, you know, they just understood their role. And, and whether it was uh, teaching life lessons or, uh, or, or getting folks ready to, to play and compete. Uh, he, he was the master, and uh, there'll never be another one of them, and that's probably a good thing, but uh, he was uh, certainly just the best. And uh, um, yeah, miss him every day. It's, it's, it's yeah. hard to believe uh, he's been uh, 
uh, away from Purdue for as long as he has, and, and it's hard to believe he's been gone uh, uh, from this earth for as long as he has. But uh, Arnett's doing well, and uh, um, you know she was a very big part of his success as well, and her relationship no, no, no. Uh, uh, with the student athletes and the staff. Uh, it was just such a family atmosphere. I mean, uh, uh, among the coaches and the support staff, and Jim knows this. Um, just uh, you couldn't wait to get to work every day to be a part of uh, of what he built at Purdue, and uh, certainly the highlight of my. Uh, of my uh, career in, in athletics. Yeah, I'll follow up and I'll let Jim answer, but too, but Tom with you, this is that contra contrarian view. I think he, that was the other thing he didn't do. It wasn't always what it was a lot of what you see is what you get, but there was a different kind of bent to it too. He, he went about things in a different way. And Arnett, I think also brought a lot of that too, because Arnett was an art person, different, different approach, that type of stuff, but they were a great complement to one another. Would you agree with that uh, statement? Yeah, I'm asking you, Tom Schott. Go yeah, ahead. No, Go yeah, ahead. No, too many Toms here. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, no, they, they were the perfect complement. Uh, um, you know, Joe had a saying, you know, leave your wife out of football, but Arnett uh, was was entrenched in football, but she, she knew what her role was, and it was it was uh, you know, working with the academic staff and making sure the kids got to class. And, and certainly there was a transition of the roster when, when Joe got here and, and just making sure all those kids were taken care of away from football. But uh, um, another great story uh, that uh, kind of put Joe in his place, which was tough to do, um, but uh, one of the coach of the year banquets after that very first season in 97, uh, when he was a finalist for a number of national coach of the year awards, uh, Joe tells a story, or maybe Arnett tells a story that they were in their hotel room getting ready for the banquet. And Joe says to Arnett, uh, do you realize how many great football coaches there are? And Arnett said, one fewer than you do. So, yeah, um, that's right. And she was good at that. She was she good was. at that. And, and, yeah. uh, you're, but you're right. They comment each other very well. And, and uh, um, you know, she, she was loyal to him and, and vice versa. And, um, I think uh, Joe was quick to admit when he retired, they moved out to Buffalo, Wyoming. Uh, um, he kind of took over the roles kind of reversed and he kind of took over sport in all of our nets endeavors, you know, whether it was yeah. uh, uh, her artwork or pottery studio, uh, you know, some of the other initiatives she had going on out there. And then, uh, um, you know, she, uh, she, she, he probably worked as hard doing that as, as he did the uh, coach football, but uh, just a great, uh, great couple, no doubt about it. Yeah, Jim Brugink, you know, you look at the legacy of Joe Tiller, and one of the things that's been important, I thought, I think he realized that even early on in his time, though I don't know that he knew how long, you know, as Tom Kubot said, they, you know, there were job opportunities for him, and he did have chances to leave during his time in West Lafayette, and Colorado was one of them, if I remember right, uh, that was that was legit at the time. But the fact that he saw also through the National Football Foundation and the Joe Tiller chapter, that wasn't named for him just at that point, but the fact that that was an important part of being a good football coach and again, having a good football program is celebrating the legacy of your, you know, getting guys in the hall of fame and all that, but talk about that and just why that became an important part of what he was all about. And obviously your role over the last 19 years uh, with that, uh, with our uh, celebrating our legends banquet, et cetera. Great. Thanks. Um, yeah, first of all, I want to agree with everything that uh, Tom and Tom have said so far uh, about Joe. I mean, he certainly, uh, I think the one one word about his sense of humor was he was self-deprecating, you know, yeah. I mean, he could, he would tell a joke on himself, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and I think that kind of brought him down to earth. There aren't a lot of coaches that would have that kind of sense of humor that could put themselves in that position, you know, because they all have pretty big egos, but Joe's ego was such, such that uh, he, he, he wanted to laugh at himself and as well as have everybody else be able to laugh with him. So, um, but yeah, the, um, you know, his, his uh, I'll never forget because Tom Schott was there and I can't remember who else was standing around, but we were at a Kiwanis club luncheon uh, back about more than 20 years ago. It was in the spring and we had a, a guy came down from uh, the Hall of Fame, uh, College Football Hall of Fame at that time was in South Bend. And the guy who was the director, Bernie Kish, came down to speak at Kiwanis. And so a group of us went over to uh, just hear him, hear him talk. And we're standing around talking afterwards. And I think Bernie Kish had, and Joe had known each other for 
quite some time earlier. Bernie is a former assistant coach somewhere where they cross paths, and and um, and so they're talking about the value of having a chapter, uh, a local chapter. And uh, Joe had uh, set, stood stood there. I, I'll never forget this. He pointed at me and said, "Vrujank, you need to find out more about this. We need yeah. to have one of those here." Yeah. So um, it kind of became my job. At that time, I was working in the university vice president's office, uh, and my 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 title was director of special projects. So that became one of my special projects was investigating that and then developing it. And it really was part of my job for several years. And um, and I think we were able to get the right level of cooperation from a, a large segment of the university that I'm very grateful for. Uh, Joe, of course, would go out to golf tournaments and any speaking engagements over the summer, and he, he would take applications with him. And we, you know, he was out there selling uh, National Football Foundation as much as he was Purdue football. And uh, he, he realized the value of it. And of course, you know, I think we've proven over the years that it has been valuable to Purdue because we've been able to get um, several people into the College Football Hall of Fame and several more into the Indiana Football Hall of Fame, both areas that I think Tom Schott will agree we were frustrated as uh, athletic public relations administrators that we didn't have more, better representation in those organizations. And it's all yeah. about getting, you know, part of our job is getting recognition for our athletes and coaches and, and to be able to kind of find a niche that was going to work um, was quite satisfying. And it, uh, and I think we really, re we realized early on that it was going to be a success. And uh, of course, we became the second largest chapter in the country, through the good help of people like uh, Bernie Flowers, who went out and sold memberships by uh, <laughs> By just saving people offices and talking football and, yeah. and not leaving until you became a member. Um, but we had, uh, had some great cooperation and uh, I think Joe was very satisfied and, and pleased with what we did. You know, he was always prominent at every one of the banquets that we had, every one of the dinners. Uh, we were able to get Drew Brees to come back for, I think it was the first seven or eight of those until he got real busy having kids and, now he's coaching and it's kind of hard to get him back here in the springtime, you know, in, in June, but we'll get him back one of these days uh, to give him, get him inducted into the Indiana football hall of fame at least. So, but uh, I, you know, overall, I'm, I'm very glad that we named the chapter after Joe, because that's a legacy that will carry on for as long as we can keep the chapter alive, I think, and um, keep his name in this community and doing some good things and having some positive impressions. So um, yeah, Joe's, um, positivity carries on. Um, and, um, I'm happy to be part of that. Yeah. I think it's Rod Woodson, Mike Phipps, Dave Butts, Mark Herman, and I'm missing Otis Armstrong or the five that have been right. on yes. five on, on, on the watch. And then the nut is that have gotten in the hall of fame since the Tiller chapter got up and rolling as, as much as it has. And Jim Young, he, Jim Young, yeah, Jim Young came in during that period. Was, and then, and, and there was a hiatus where Leroy Keys was the last one prior to Mike right. Phipps. It's, it's right. like 1990 to 2006, six. maybe, Jim, right. or 2004. It's a span of 16 years that yeah. we had gone without having an inductee, and we've had uh, now six since. So, and, and Taylor Stubblefield, Travis Dorsch are on the on the front porch right now. Ryan Kerrigan will not be far behind, I wouldn't think, and uh, that's. Uh, that's quite an accomplishment that there'll be more to celebrate. Nate, you are a... Thing, and not to, not to ahead, get far off the path, but uh, because of some of the requirements, yeah, uh, to be considered Joe Tiller, who arguably changed college football, changed certainly the Big Ten football, is even eligible. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you have to have a 600 winning percentage to, to even be considered. And Joe was at 585 or 587 or something. So... Um, that's unfortunate. I, I'm sure yep, there's a reason for that, but uh, you'd think someone that did as much as he did for the game, especially as Tom Kuba mentioned at the very beginning, you know, 12 straight losing seasons before he got here. And, and uh, yeah, I think uh, you know, Gary Danielson was back speaking sometime during Joe's time, and, and he argued that Joe Tiller might be the most important person in the history of Purdue athletics because of what he did at a time when Purdue athletics was struggling financially. And, yeah. uh, you know, had a, a dilapidated stadium, 
uh, and 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 was you know tickets were not ticket sales were not good, and you know this the old atmosphere was not good, and and Joe revived all that, and and it's you know except for a few years here and there, it's really stayed at that plateau ever since. So um, it's unfortunate someone that did as much as he did uh, uh, can't can't be honored as probably he he certainly should be. And, we'll and get I think to that. I think we'll go ahead, Jim. Stepping, uh, taking that uh, beyond what Tom said, I, I do think that Joe's legacy of what was accomplished and that memory is in the minds of our fans. So that even though we, you know, Purdue had some down years within the last decade or so, but it was great to see the the fan base respond quickly when the success came back under Jeff Brown. You know, and I think that can be attributed back to the fun that people had in the late 90s, early 2000s, the people remember that. And they remember going to bowl games and having, having the, 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 the wide open offense and having that fun at games. And um, I think that really helped the current administration get the fan base back in place real quickly. So um, yeah. hopefully it'll, it'll continue forward as um, they, and the, for this next regime. Yeah. Nate, you know, you lived through the, as the, the youngest one on our panel, but uh, uh, just the importance of community and football and what Joe meant to that. I mean, you know, again, as Jim mentioned, uh, and Tom mentioned from 1985 to 96, it was pretty rough around here in terms of interest in football and, and uh, with, with a couple of exceptions, certainly, but uh, not, not many in that, but talk about that and that need and what Joe, and, and if you have any of your stories of being around Joe over the years. Uh, you always learn something. I was always told, I said, uh, every time I was with Joe Tiller uh, and I wasn't with him as much as you guys have been, but uh, uh, always learned something different from him. There was some some life lesson in there somewhere embedded that uh, that became, uh, but it did start as, you, as a common theme of generally treating people well and with respect. And he was great at that. But uh, Nate, what say you on that? Well, I, I actually quoted uh, a, a variation on what Coach Tiller talked about to some of our, our team today. And it came out of this. When I was still in high school, uh, my aunt and uncle, uh, Tom Eater, that works with me here at the dealership, they were next door neighbors with Scott Downing, who was yeah. Coach Stiller's uh, associate head coach and and got really close with the Downings. And so sometimes uh, when Coach Tiller uh, would uh, have those victory parties at his house, when the assistants and their wives would come and celebrate a victory at the Tiller home, Tom uh, and my aunt got invited to one of those. And I was babysitting the kids. And when Tom got home, he shared with me some of his conversations with Coach Tiller that night. And what Tom remembered about that was Coach Tiller talking about uh, how, how it's tempting to get too high when we win. Uh, and think that we're really good. And then you can get too hard on yourself when you lose and maintaining that balance. And so, you know, in a sales business like we're in every day, that really applies because the car business has had a couple of really good years, but sometimes you think you're you're better than you are at the business and you need to keep grinding and working. And, and a, a source of truth also is when things aren't going as well, don't be so hard on yourself not to keep moving forward. So that's one thing I remember. Uh, the second was uh, he bought a Ram truck from Twin City and I think a lot of uh, Arnett's antiques got hauled around in it over the years. Yeah. And oh, my yeah. grandfather and, and he would sit in, in the office and talk about that uh, when he was in for service. So it was a gray Ram. I'm sure some of you guys remember seeing it drive around town. But uh, so we had a little experience with him that way. And then my fondest memories are working uh, as uh, my first gig with the Purdue Radio Network was the audience coordinator job down at Chumley's for his radio show. Uh, we were the, on that show from 2000 to 2005 and just getting to be around him, seeing how he treated the waiters and the waitresses and the fans that would come to his radio show and seeing that what you thought on television was really what you got when he was in person. I, I felt like I came away with an impression that he is who he really seems to be. And uh, that sticks out. And then just the, the fun of being on campus, working for Jim and Tom, when there was such a vibrancy. When I came to campus in fall of 98, uh, in those ensuing years, I mean, there was nothing like it. It was exciting all the time. And, uh, you know, people like Drew Brees were popping into the SID office and just uh, that sense uh, around campus that something special was happening. Yeah, interesting because... Drew Brees had a lot of the same qualities that Joe Tiller had. I mean, in terms of just a fundamental decency to him, has those qualities still. 
And uh, I think that's part of the reason. But then even in Tom, well, some of the top shots close to with Kyle Orton, I enjoyed when Kyle came back last year and talked about his uh, just that again, Kyle, Kyle Orton, an intellectually very capable guy, a thoughtful person, a, uh, a terrific player as well. But just that relationship that those two fostered over the years. I, I thought was quite unique. All right, legacy is an important thing. Tom Kubot, we've talked about the Tiller Tunnel will be part of Ross H Stadium. Uh, there's been discussion over the years of what, all right, this that will be a permanent legacy to him and it'll always be something that's where that team's gonna come out. I know there's always been talk about statues and other things that you can could do to commemorate his importance to this program and yeah they, they the college football hall of fame is not likely to happen unless they change the rules some way but uh this is a guy that uh it's hard to minimize his impact and i know you have an opinion on 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 what that importance and how that should be displayed on a permanent basis well <clears throat> i haven't seen any uh architectural drawings of the tunnel or or uh will will it be you know a sign over when, when the oh, yeah. team out and all that but uh, uh, to me, it, I, uh, forgive me, but it, when I hear Tiller Tunnel, to me, it sounds like a amusement park ride. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I, uh, I, I just think, I just think for what, what, not only, you know, the wins and losses and the bowl games, but the type of person he, he was, Purdue needs to, uh, I, I think it ought to be at least a statue or a, a building named after him because, uh, you know, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, what are the odds of uh, what he did in those 12 years? What are, the, what are the odds of that happening again at Purdue? I mean, that's hard to accomplish at some of your really, really, you know, the Ohio States and the Michigans and the Alabamas to do that. And uh, so I, I just think Purdue owes him a little bit more respect. I don't want to sound too critical, but I, I think I think they've either missed the boat or they're missing the boat. I think they need to do something more special in addition to the tunnel, you know. Uh, and yeah, I, I want to just add something uh, following up on what Nate said about, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you get don't get too carried away or don't think you're better than what you really are. I remember one time in his office, he, he and they were, Purdue, I think, was kind of struggling in his mind at that time. But he said, you know what? He said, sometimes us coaches, and you media people and the fans have to take a different look at it because if things aren't going right, we have a tendency, like when I watch film, I have a tendency to be very, very, very critical of what we, what we did on that play or whatever. He said, but sometimes maybe we got to say, hey, what that other team did was pretty darn good, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, and I think that's kind of uh, is represented now in today's world in social media. You know, when your favorite team has a bad game, so many fans hop on social media and just rip everybody in, in a very unprofessional, unkind way. Uh, but I remember he, when he said that, I don't know, that just stuck with me. And I, I, I don't ever regard myself as necessarily being a negative reporter. Sometimes you got to report, I mean, you got to report the truth or you lose your credibility, which, you know, if you're going to be negative or critical, you can do it in a professional way. And I think that helped me think that way to be more professional about that aspect of the, of the sport. Sorry to inter interrupt. The, you no, know, I think that's right. I will say this, and, and, and you and I had this offline <laughs> conversation. I do think the Tiller Tunnel, at least from what I've seen, I was up there a week or so ago, and there's still, <laughs> I think it's going to be a challenge. I, I know that Mike Babinski and company say that they're going to have it done. I think they'll have enough of it done to, for the Fresno State game. There's a lot of work to be done. But the tunnel will make an impression just because uh, when people come out. But, yeah, it's interesting. There's been a, been a lot. His legacy is he's such a perfect match to what Purdue football has been at its best times over the years. And that is innovative offense uh, and good and, and, and some real, real top individual guys that uh, may have made this a very special uh, not a great program. We know that Purdue has not been in an upper echelon, you know, and probably never will be able to compete on a on a year in year out basis for Ohio State and Michigan and et cetera, Penn State and USC, maybe in the in the Big Ten. But this is a he certainly left you with some moments from that standpoint. Tom Shot, I want to go back to uh, the high moments uh, and maybe what you learned from watching that team go to the Rose Bowl. 
But also even I can remember Joe talking about one of his most challenging moments as a coach was the 2003 loss to Ohio State and maybe his best team in some ways. We could debate that for a whole other show. But uh, talk about how Joe Tiller, uh, that was a hard thing for him uh, because I think he realized it wasn't, the, and of course, 2004, they start out 5-0 and and are ranked in the top five. And 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 things went down from there. But talk about just the highs and lows of a of a head football coach and and what that was for him because he did have high expectations for this program. I thought that Ohio State game, um, you know, as, as much as he understood the you know dealing with the media uh, was was part of the job, a very important part of the job, and and we certainly had great. Uh, uh, media coverage uh, and, and fair media, certainly led by by Tom Kubat uh, throughout uh, his time. But yeah, you know, he he was a little surly after that game. Probably the, the most surly I remember him in in, in the years I uh, covered with uh, worked with him. But uh, I think he kind of felt that maybe you know it wasn't going to happen at Purdue on a consistent year in year out basis. You know, competing for the Big Ten uh, as he thought. Uh, um, after the early success uh, that, that he might be able to achieve. And I think, you know, by that point, you know, Big Ten schools were figuring out what the spread offense is all about and how to better defend it. We're getting better athletes on defense, uh, quicker athletes, certainly, uh, to cover all the receivers uh, from sideline to sideline. But uh, uh, that was the most upset. I remember him. He was very short uh, with his answers, which uh, uh, was never the case uh, uh, for Joe. But, uh, um, but yeah, then in 04 to bounce back and, as certainly as wonderful as the Rose Bowl season was, uh, and those four wins in, in October, uh, you know, I'll still argue that the first five weeks of, of the 04 season, uh, when we were five and zero and ranked uh, uh, number fifth, and College Game Day was here for the first and still only time at Purdue, uh, and by gosh, had Ohio, had had Wisconsin beat, and and Game Day was coming back the next week uh, for the Michigan game, and somehow that 17-7 lead. Uh, uh, got away from us. Uh, and I think it took Purdue football and certainly Purdue fans uh, many years. Some probably still haven't gotten over it, uh, the, the dreaded uh, Kyle Orton fumble. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, he was the best at, at handling the highs and lows, but that Ohio State game, I'll never forget. He was, he, he was, he was as surly and as short, uh, as short as he ever was. Uh, um I think with good reason. That was a game he probably thought uh, we should have won. And then you wondered if you can't beat them with this team in this situation, uh, will you ever consistently beat them? And uh, um, you know, that proved to be the case. So, yeah, Tom Kubat talked about the fact that uh, they produced two, you know, 2002 and 2003 had two of the best defenses or were certainly top three in the Big Ten both years. I believe statistically, it could be wrong in 2003, but they well, shoot. How many draft picks do we have? Uh, yeah. They're all on defense uh, in, yeah. in those those couple of years. But uh, you know, those were all, and you know, we again this this show could go on in so many different ways. But you know, yeah, I look at someone uh, uh, like a Gilbert Gardner um, who came here as a wide receiver, and they move him to defense, and he becomes an All Big Ten linebacker and plays in the NFL. Or or Matt Light, who was recruited to Purdue by Jim Coletto as a tight end, and. <laughs> Joe Tiller says, yeah, I think you might be a pretty good left tackle and you might be able to play for, for quite a few years past college if you do that. And Matt Hinden Hahn finally gave into it. And of course, went on to be a Pro Bowl, Super Bowl champion for many years uh, with the Patriots. So uh, that staff was the, the very, very best at, at figuring out where guys best belonged and, and not always recruiting them to play the position they played in high school, but eyeballing where they might have more success in college and I bet they batted 900 out on those uh, moving people yeah. around and finding a home for them. And just another great skill that, that he had and, and his staff had, and he'd be the first to give his staff credit. And those coaches that went on to, to great careers as head coaches and NFL coaches uh, uh, really is phenomenal. Yeah, it is. And there are some real fun personalities. That's back in the days when, and I understand the world's different now and it really is, but boy, we, it was fun just to, we didn't. We were always able to be around those guys for a lot of time, but when we did, again, it was interesting. It was fun, and they—they they certainly. I'm talking about his coaches, but also Joe himself. But it's the Jim Cheneys of the world, and the Brock Specks uh, still are just uh, unique uh, individuals. That and the Greg Olsons on down the line just had some a lot of guys that were great to to deal with. 
Jim Brugic, the one thing on, on Joe Tiller and, and Drew Brees is kind of the living uh, reminder also of that that unbelievable legacy and the bond that those two had and and the fact that here Drew Brees comes out to it turns out to be not only a great player in the National Football League but also a you know is the kind of is a, is a star I mean he's he's known or throughout the world uh, for 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 other things certainly for football but other things as well but talk about that bond and the interesting relationship those two had and the fact that you promoted them him heavily in 1999 and 2000 for the Heisman Trophy got the chance to to go to New York twice with him uh, as well Drew Brees obviously but that, that special bond that really does help that legacy live on in a guy like Drew well that's that's true and I think um, one thing I'll always remember is Joe Tiller very early on when uh, we were talking with, saw the potential and saw what what Drew Brees was going to be or could be. You know, he, I remember him coming in, I don't know if it was in his office or our office, but he said, you better, you guys better really enjoy this. This guy is a once in a lifetime experience having this guy with us. And yeah. uh, you know, I think he was saying that for himself as well as for us. And so we, we embraced it, you know, I mean, Drew was absolutely um, wonderful to work with, so cooperative, so down to earth, all the suggestions that we would make um, to help promote Purdue, which he knew was also promoting him, but his more, his bigger concern was what, what's this going to mean for Purdue? What can this, how can this help us be a better team and get more recognition or whatever? But, um, you know, some of the ideas that just came came out, you know, I remember, and I, I was talking with uh, somebody from the media not too long ago about a, um, and this was t an idea that I can't remember if Tom and Tom and I presented it jointly or where it came from, but you know, back in the um, in that in that day and age, the so much of the television coverage was um, was de we were depending on the local affiliates to help us get the word out about. And, and the visuals out about our program. And um, whenever there was a afternoon football game in ross Stadium, the Indianapolis TV stations would have to have to leave as soon as the game was over to get back to Indy to get it on the air, to get to get their, their sports shows for that afternoon on. Um, and we realized that if we adopted, made Drew available immediately after the game, rather than having a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour go by, before he would be available in the media room, make Drew available on the field. And we created a box. The stadium crew built this box. We called it the Breeze Box. And as soon as the game was over, they brought that over. That was on the sidelines. They brought it over to the corner of the, the end zone, uh, right past where the, the team would have to be leaving right on that southeast corner of the stadium. And Drew would hop up on this box and do a little mini press conference for the TV people. Um, and they would gather around and be able to sh and ads ask him questions and whatever. It maybe it maybe took no more than two minutes, and he would jump off and go back and join his teammates in the locker room. But that helped to get visuals of him talking about his game out nationally because they would come they would get back to Indianapolis and put it up you know available for others to see. Um, and that that was I think that was something that was. I don't know. I don't want to call it cutting edge, but it was unique. I don't remember have anybody ever having done that before. And I'm not sure many coaches would have agreed to let a player do that. But Joe did. I and mean, we were, of course, you know, there was an idea that was presented to Joe also. We weren't going to do that behind his back, but it was uh, very much appreciated by the, the media. And, um, and I think had a lot to do with his, uh, him getting some exposure. Still, yeah. still, feel terrible about the way things worked out and his, uh, um, the fact that he didn't get the attention that he deserved. I thought um, he, he, if, if, his, if our season had ended at the end of October that year, he would have been the Heisman Trophy winner. But because we had five, you know, the last five weeks of the season, Purdue played only two games. We didn't get a lot of exposure, whereas Oklahoma and Florida State had five games each. And their, their, their two quarterbacks were having great seasons. Um, and they ended up getting more of the exposure. And, um, but uh, it, felt, uh, it 
felt like, I felt like we did everything we possibly could. And we had the full cooperation of the head coach, the player, even the player's parents were on board with everything we did. And um, I felt really good about the, the campaign we had for, for trying to get Drew Brees, the Heisman trophy. And, um, and, uh, but it just fell short. Yeah. Alan, yeah, I, I got a yeah. follow up to that, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, just talking about Drew's relationship with the media uh, over the years, there were, you know, Tom or Jim would set me up with an interview with a player for the next day or something. And then for whatever reason, the player maybe didn't show up and they would hop in and, and reschedule it. But there were, I think, twice where I had uh, interviews set up with Drew. And then all of a sudden, I don't even know if he, maybe he got the phone numbers, for, but he called me the first time and just said, hey, something's come up. I can't make it to our interview tomorrow, tomorrow at noon, but how about I'll meet you at McDonald's across the Northwestern Avenue at, at two. Will that work for you? I said, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and he did that twice. You know, uh, he took it upon himself to reschedule the, the, the interview. So uh, to me, that was a example of the type of type of young man he was back then right yeah absolutely. And part of that program too yep. all right nate i'm gonna put you on the spot for your favorite uh, outside of the ones that uh, there are other games that uh, you recall that really stand out i mean we obviously talked about the rose bowl and and all that so i'm gonna put those games as off limits what what are other games that uh, <laughs> you know what would it be 2008 purdue indiana his last game which was an interesting and you know, to see joe very emotional uh, on that uh, on that day was uh, a lasting memory. But uh, tell me what you think in terms of other other ones. And you are allowed to use some of the ones that we've mentioned. If you do, if that's well, yeah, I uh, you know, Alan. Uh, first one that stands out is I was still a senior in high school, and I, I went to the games growing up, basically from the '87 season on. Um, and I was there when Notre Dame just would you know tear Purdue apart. Uh, when Lou Holtz was there. So I, the first thing I remember actually is uh, everybody, the, the, the Notre Dame game in 97 and everybody rushing the field and even seeing Carolyn Peck down there on the field after the, <laughs> uh, that designated that, partier. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, you, when, when you're, you know, you're 17 and everybody just rushed the field to say, wow, Purdue finally beat Notre Dame. And it, of course it was coming off the Toledo loss in the first week that one, that one's a hard one to top. Uh, and then I think also uh, the, uh, I think a lot about uh, the, the uh, 2000 Michigan game and where Purdue stood at halftime in that game. And then they come back and win it the way they did. Uh, and, uh, and I, we talked about Nancy Cross uh, uh, the last time we did one of these and, and she got an honor for her career at Purdue this weekend at the NFF banquet. I think I remember Nancy handing out roses in the press box uh, and, and I was up on the roof as she was handing those out and, and just being a part of that night in the press box uh, was just as good as it gets and seeing Coach Tiller and Drew with that bucket down on the field and the melee there. Uh, I have, you know, that like a lot of people, I have that on my basement wall. And uh, just to have been there for that as a Purdue fan is just pretty hard to top. Yeah, I think if I can jump uh, in. Uh, yeah, Tom, uh, certainly, a, a, I don't know, probably halfway through Joe's tenure, maybe a little past that, I asked him to reflect on his five memorable wins to that point. And, and that Notre Dame game that Nate mentioned uh, was, was number one. He felt that really was key to springboarding the success. You know, if they don't win that game after the Toledo loss, you know, you know, how does that season uh, maybe play out differently? But uh, my favorite story of, of that whole, you know, kind of two week uh, swing, uh, Rosie Colvin tells the story after they lose at Toledo in the opener. Uh, he says, you know, we go in there, we expect this, you know, new guys that are come in this, you know, rip us and tell us how terrible we are. And in classic, uh, we didn't know it was classic at the time, Joe Tiller fashion, he walks in and says, well, fellas, I don't think we're going to cancel any practices. <laughs> and Rosie said everyone was just so at ease that they weren't, you know, being yelled at and screamed at that it just kind of set the whole tone for uh, for what the future would lie. But that was was classic, uh, classic Joe there. But yeah, that that 97 win over Notre Dame certainly set the tone. And uh, um, he, he made the comment uh, 
I think Jack Root was a sideline reporter in the interview. He said, yeah, yeah. We hope it's the first of many at Purdue. And you know, who could envision uh, that it'd be uh, 87 of them in, in, in total? But uh, um, yeah, that, that was great stuff, certainly. Well, and, yeah, you know, I, even taking off on that also, you know, that was a very important um, win for the whole campus. Because if you recall that week, um, there was a plane crash, and I think three Purdue students had died in out at the Purdue airport, and um, in a, in a plane crash, and um, and so the, there was just this gloom whole, over the the whole campus, and that beating Notre Dame was just such an uplifting experience overall. I think it was just really good, not only for the Purdue football program, but also for campus and. You really got the point. that whole season, that whole fall season, just headed in the right direction, and and ended up in a bowl game. You know, it's, it was it was amazing. It was a great turnaround. Yeah, back in those days, and and I was still going to post game press conferences. We you know go down the field with five minutes to go, and if you remember in the Notre, Notre Dame game, you know the final score was what twenty one to ten, but. Uh, uh, was that right? Twenty eight seventeen. I can't remember, but 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 point is. Purdue had a, had, a, had a situation of you know third or third and five or whatever around midfield and and you thought gosh it's going to be a way Notre Dame's going to come back and beat them and, and the, the famous bubble screen to Vinny Sutherland and the fact that he took the risk to throw the ball and I said that was the first sign that you knew something was going to be dramatically different of course later in that year in the in the miracle against Michigan State uh, but I think also I remember Joe McConnell. After the doing a remember he and Jim and Tom know this did I think did his coaches show part of it they interviewed him in the hallway uh, after uh, right after those games to do the the coaches television show and getting fans after they beat Wisconsin the last time Purdue's beaten Wisconsin in in, in Ross Age Stadium back in 1997 and to beat them soundly with Ron Dane at the beat Ron Dane and the Badgers that year is that uh, you know kind of talking about how uh, the fan base needs to get used to winning and uh, that was always a statement of is you better get used to it he may have used that after the Notre Dame game as well but uh, again uh, kind of changing that mindset uh, uh, was was important all right we're gonna give Tom Klubach the last word here Tom of course exciting news because he was inducted into the Indiana Football Hall of Fame he's a two-time Hall of Famer obviously with the broadcasters and and writers also in the state of Indiana but talk about uh uh, give us your last word on Joe Tiller and and what you, what uh, what if you can sum it up of what uh, if it's something we've missed or something you think about in terms of that uh, uh, the opportunity that Joe Tiller has brought not only to this West Lafayette and Purdue community uh, but uh, football in this area. Well, <laughs> there are the thing is there's so many of them and now yeah. I'm just kind of like drawing drawing a blank. Uh, a lot of times, uh, as much as I remember his coaching or uh, this game or that game or a play in this game. It, it was uh, it, just being in his office and talking to him uh, because uh, a lot of times I'd be there and you could tell he was busy. So and he was nice about it, but it was like, okay, ask your questions and get out of here. And then there <laughs> were other times, it was other times, you know, where uh, we'd get done with the formal interview and he just wanted to shoot the breeze. And it was always fun and entertaining and funny. Uh, and then with doing the book, I remember it was, uh, I was first informed about it. You guys, uh, I can't remember his name. It was Mike something. He was a former- Mike Pearson. Mike Pearson. Yeah, Pearson. yeah Mike yeah. Pearson. He caught me up at the Big Ten kickoff luncheon in Chicago and, and threw it out. He said, hey, would you be interested in writing you know, Joe Tiller's biography? And I said, yeah, of course. What does Joe have to say? And Mike said, well, he doesn't know about it yet. And then lo and behold, Joe walked by. Anyway, we sat down and uh, uh, he ran it past Joe. And then uh, he asked Joe, he said, what do you think about this guy pointing at me being the author? And Joe, with his sense of humor, said, oh, I don't know. I got to think about that one. And, <laughs> but then, then he quickly turned around and said, okay, we're good. But I was concerned because it was, that was uh, in August and teams were reporting for camp and all that. And they wanted the book to come out before the next season. And I said, you know, Joe's only got two or three more years left on his contract. Why don't you wait until he's done? And then we can write the entire story. And they said, no, he's hot right now. We want to do it right now. 
and I, I thought I knew how busy I was during this football season. And I know Joe Tiller and head coaches were much busier, but anyway, we got back to campus and Joe set it up. He said, I, right, if you come by my office every Thursday morning at 11, I'll give you an hour uh, to interview for the book. And I thought, okay, that's great. But I wondered once the season started, how long is that going to last? Well, we were still talking and meeting in February. And some of those one-hour sessions turned into two-hour sessions. Yeah. And then sometimes when we were done talking about the book, we just, you know, talked. And, I mean, you guys know Joe. He was just a fun guy to not only talk with or talk to, but to listen to. And I just felt like I really got to know the man and, uh, you know, and got to even admire him more so as a coach, but as a, as a man. So I, I think about those conversations as much as I do about a certain game or a certain play or, you know, I do, I do remember after they beat Indiana to clinch the Rose bowl, uh, probably more than anything. Else, I remember being on the field with everybody running around, but just, you know, drew with that rose in his mouth and tiller the same and the smiles on their faces and just how happy they were, you know, put so much work into that and then to be rewarded. And you could just tell uh, they were they were just totally thrilled. And it, it was just exciting. And, and uh, it was just neat to experience that. Yeah, no doubt. The magical times, to say the least. And uh, for all of us that have been around it, about it for a while, uh, I don't know that it's going to get a whole lot better than that. It might be equal at some point in time, but uh, hard to get much better than that. And uh, as they always say, nothing hotter than new love. And that was what 97 and 98, especially it was new and exciting. And, and uh, that was, uh, and, and very, very, very memorable. All right, guys, thanks so much for your time. Uh, uh, again, two books. If you, if you're looking for the, to talk about uh, or read something this summer, to Tom Kubot's book, Not Your Average Joe, but also Tom Schott's book, which is really a definitive book on Purdue football history. Uh, and I, can you still get that on Amazon? Mr. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, just an excellent uh, job, a really cool book too. And uh, the, as well, that uh, uh, tell a great story of Purdue football. There was Purdue football before Jeff Brom and Ryan Walters. There'll be football after as well, <laughs> but uh, a lot of, a lot of fun with that. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to keeping that legacy alive. 15 years since Joe Tiller has been on the sideline. That again, hard to believe from that standpoint, but boy, one thing I think we can all agree on, it was a hell of a lot of fun uh, for the very, very most part of that uh, that time in West Lafayette. So, guys, thanks again so much. Thanks, Nate. We'll be coming by to pick up our cars here before long. Uh, just <laughs> let us know when we can do that. But the good folks at Chariot Auto Group in Twin City uh, can't, couldn't make it without you, but we enjoy uh, these Monday night memories. We've had a lot of fun doing these over the years, and this will be uh, this will be you know, and on the internet, it's going to be there forever. So that part's good. So, all right, guys, have a great rest of your day. Thank all of you for watching and listening to it, and have a great July Fourth. This is gonna, uh, that'll be tomorrow, and a safe one as well. And uh, we appreciate that. Appreciate all of you. So, have a great rest of your day. Well.